Welcome to Rockstock Channel, Peter Hanna. It is September 28th. Uh, we've had a number of your colleagues on before, Will Adams, I think, and Martin Fasada, no longer there, but uh, Fast Markets, Rodney and I spoke at, I guess, in Phoenix. You just had uh, your Europe event. I, I met you, I've been reading your stuff for the past, I don't know, year or so. Uh, I listened to your very good podcast with Joe Lowry a little while ago, we, you know, to have this kind of conversation and I'm glad we've had multiple conversations and, and you've now put into the public domain, a great three-part piece on spodumene pricing, which is going to be the main focus of this conversation. But I want to cover just some of your takeaways from the fast markets event and also talk about this SGX, you know, the Singapore began trading a carbonate price, uh, you know, index, you know, and I guess in competition with uh, the LME and the CME's, you know, hydroxide. So if you could talk about that and a very quick introduction of yourself and what you do for fast markets, Peter. Sure. So yeah, first of all, um, thanks a lot for inviting me on the podcast. Um, I've been a long time listener and watcher of you guys and, and learned a huge, a lot, a uh, huge amount over the years. So just a, a brief introduction to me. So I've been at fast markets for around nine years now, um, working on our price development across a number of uh, different commodities started mainly in the bulks, things like iron ore and uh, manganese ore and alumina and some of those. But over the past couple of years, had more of a direct focus on the battery mat materials like lithium and cobalt. I've got a background in geology a fair, fair time ago, but for the, the last few years, it's been more um, focused on the markets and pricing mechanisms. So yeah, to, to answer your question about the the fast markets conference. So yeah, it was Barcelona last week. It was a nice, nice week and a good chance to see everyone in the industry again. Um, there's about 350 attendees, um, so a good crowd. I think some of the some of the key takeaways were well, for a start, it was it's quite Europe focused. So a lot of talk about Europe's security of supply and in particular raw material supply. There seems to be a little bit of a a difference in the the rhetoric or the the words that you hear from a lot of the, the European policymakers around you know this industry being very critical, uh, but that's not quite matching up with the investment in especially the raw materials end where there's you know, issues of, of classifying potentially lithium hydroxide as a toxin and also you know, nimbyism in a lot of the potential raw material development projects. So that's a, an issue that. The industry there is kind of grappling with another one is you know how this dynamic of of inflation versus recession plays out i think it's the new version of what we had a few years ago uh, where people were debating whether covid was going to be a more of a, an impact on the supply side of the industries or the demand side now it's okay we have inflation in the system is that going to continue pushing up prices of products or is it going to you know start to to really eat into demand and i think the Conclusion on that one is generally that yes, it it, it may start to dent demand for uh, you know products and and including vehicles, um, but the ICE vehicles are likely to bear the brunt of that as you know the the wait lists on EVs these days are long enough and the 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 demand is still being powered primarily by you know those who are pretty affluent and can afford these EVs so. There, it's not expected to have a huge impact on on EV demand. Obviously, if we're a few years further down the line where we're really kind of driving at mass market adoption, uh, perhaps we would have had a, a bit more of an issue and be more of a concern at that time. Okay, great. So Europe is kind of muddling through. 
a bit. They seem to be ahead a few years ago. I've kind of moved to the side. They're still there. They're relevant, but nothing definitively, you know, positive or you know, overtly, you know, negative. But I heard some, you know, statements out of the European Commission and and various people, you know, talking about the criticality and maybe setting some strategic projects across the continent. But Europe is a lot of countries, and I'd like to see the dollars allocated. I'd like to see. You know, the European Investment Bank invested in LG Chem facility in Poland. They invested in a Umicore facility of cathodes. I'd like to see them write a check, right? You know, something similar for lithium, you know, among yeah. the, the projects that are there. And until that happens, it's all talk. Okay. So secondly, SGX, the Singapore exchange, just launched a carbonate contract a few years ago. There was all this talk about competition between price reporting agencies about the LME, you know, hydroxide contract. That's been a bit of a damp squib, I think, overall, in terms of uh, trading volumes on the exchange. And, and the LME has had a bit of a black eye this year with what happened kind of like a nickel. So if you could comment, I guess, more broadly on what's happening with the evolution of price indexes for you know risk management, they all seem to be focused on you know the chemical side of things. But the bulk of this conversation is going to be about you know how spodumene may emerge you know, in that. But, but just tell us about you know, the SGX launch, uh, which seems to be a lot more liquid than the LME and CME contract, like right off the bat. Yeah, sure. So yeah, SGX launched last uh, early earlier this week, actually 26th of September, um, with four new contracts, two for cobalt, but uh, they launched both lithium hydroxide and lithium carbonate. But lithium carbonate, I guess, is the, the USP as it's you know, unique. Uh, the CME and LME both uh, have listed lithium hydroxide. Um, in all the cases, they all settle against the, the respective fast markets price indices. And I think the, the catalyst for, for these is the fact that you've now got a lot more industry exposure to those fast markets indices in the physical market. So as lithium pricing mechanisms have, have evolved and become more index linked, now there's a real direct need to, to manage that risk and, and hedge in price exposure. So the launch of the LME and CME hydroxide contracts, they were sort of you know, the planning for those started at least three years ago. And the, the thinking at the time in the industry was that, uh, you know, high nickel was going to dominate and the uh, hydroxide market share was going to continue to grow and, and overtake carbonate. So at that time, it was, it was almost seen, seen as a, an idea to get ahead of that trend by okay, going straight with hydroxide um, rather than kind of launching both or, or risking splitting liquidity. But in hindsight, that now looks like a, a bit of a mistake. And, and it is. I mean, obviously, LFPs had a huge resurgence and, and carbonate is still the more dominant salt. And it's also the more tradable product as well. Obviously, you know, hydroxide's got the, the shelf life issue. Carbonate is slightly more um, forgiving in terms of its specifications. So the industry has been really calling out for a carbonate contract to in order to to just manage the the price risk and it's not a physically deliverable contract so you know none of these are like the lme base metals where you have a terminal market mechanism they are just uh, really a venue to to manage price risk and just have a you know a cash settled uh, means of of hedging or locking in prices that's that's obviously i mean uh based on my experience in the derivatives market, Peter, obviously that's hugely helpful that you don't have this massive rollover risk if you were to expect the physical. So in this instance, you can just square up and, and move on. 
until volumes sort of find their way. Exactly. And also, you know, these these lithium markets and even, you know, many other battery materials are just not not really all that suitable for that physically deliverable mechanism, just given uh, you know, the specification requirements, the fact that you need to qualify through different supply chains. Um, the idea of, you know, letting a contract expire and going in with a warrant to a warehouse and and picking out random bags of the product is just not something that's very appealing. Um, you know, adding the ESG requirements and tracing your supply chain um, yeah, is, is more something that... that doing the provenance of each and every, you know, delivery could be quite something. Yeah, so people are looking for a, for a price risk management tool rather than a you know, product delivery mechanism or ecosystem. Okay, uh, that makes sense. But managing price risk is very important with you know, ever rising you know prices here. And uh, if you're an OEM trying to figure out how you're going to sell electric vehicles and lithium starts accounting for a very large percentage as one ingredient. But there's no forward curve. We'll see how we'll see how liquid and how how that evolves. Just one yeah. question, uh, uh, Peter, is on the settlement. Just so listeners know, there is some kind of a standardized spec sheet that is the, the implied settlement on that contract. That's correct. It's a good question. So it's is the fast markets um, CIF China Japan and Korea index for both lithium carbonate and hydroxide, um, and we price to a spec. So it's a it's a particular battery grade specification that we're pricing to. Um, obviously, in the real physical world, there can be different price realization around that, but it is a yes yeah, standardized price that the, the contract settles on. Just to go to Howard's point, yeah, I mean, it's, it's early days of all of these derivative contracts and the, the space will take some time to develop liquidity and, and grow. What gives me confidence is that this is no longer a, a small market or a small industry so there's not many other markets of this kind of size and significance that don't have a mechanism to to manage risk in the forward market we're going to move to spodgmine and you know to elon musk's point is that refining is the hard part and and mining is the easy part and again he's gotten wrong where the margin is so your three-part piece, which is an outgrowth of a number of conversations we've had, you know, is broken down into how is spodumene price, how should spodumene be priced, and why you should care about how spodumene is priced. It was great to hear. I'm looking at you. It looks like you have one-year experience, not nine. Uh, but uh, to hear in your background the, the aluminum and the iron ore, that actually was a very significant genesis of a line of questioning and, and interest of mine. So I, I did a fair bit of business in you know 2010, 11, 12 in the iron ore space when the iron ore market shifted from yearly negotiations where you had this mating season between Nippon Steel in Japan and POSCO in Korea with Rio Tinto and BHP. And at some point, I don't remember who moved first, Rio or BHP, they said, we want to move to kind of quarterly pricing. And I see Chris Ellison bringing this kind of mentality to the lithium dialogue. Most recently, is now famous, uh, if you own your rock, your God, and, and he wants to, you know, price to the day and restructuring the, you know, the, the joint venture with Albemarle. So I'm wondering if 
and we talked about this in our Joe Lowry podcast, that if Albemarle for the if they if they're they have a hundred percent of the marketing rights from Albemarle, but if fifty percent of their material is being priced on spot pricing, the price of the day, how could they commit themselves long term to that to those Wajina tons that they're converting to hydroxide? You know, on long-term contracts, I don't think they can. I think they will be forced, at least on those tons, to have it as variable as their input costs. So they're not going to want to take that price risk. You know, unless there's a very liquid hydro, like if your hydroxide forwards are, are such that they can utilize that. Um, so it might switch. It might be, it might force them. Albemarle may then have their BHP moment or Rio Tinto moment and say, okay, we're now switching hydroxide to full spot. I also asked Rodney and Joe, and both of them um, didn't agree. I just asked a question. I don't have an answer to the question, but maybe you have a different, uh, I want to ask you the same question, is that right now spodumene is priced linked to the chemical price. Now, with a lot of spodumene coming on market that's not integrated, like Sigma or North American Lithium's case. I mean, a lot of the companies who are producing spodumene do have downstream operation, aspirations, others do not, but can spodumene create its own market in price for itself? And could it ultimately be the driver, if not for carbonate prices, you know, maybe for hydroxide prices? Yeah, there's a lot of questions in there, but I think I'll, I'll take the last one <laughs> yes, first. Can spodumene be priced on the basis of, you know, on a standalone basis? I think yes. And uh, almost my, my thinking around that has developed as I was writing through those articles. Based on what I've kind of thought about and considered, I think it can be when you look at, you know, how iron ore is priced and how other products like alumina are priced. In the case of iron ore, you've got an issue where you know, the, the steel market is very difficult to commoditize. Steel is many different commodity markets. So you really need a strong upstream proxy. So iron ore is, is almost essential to be the global commodity there. But alumina, you've got aluminium, that's a, a great commodity, um, but it's still detached. You still had a, an upstream feedstock that became a standalone pricing mechanism. Um, and I think that you've got a good reason really for spodumene to do that here because now the the bottleneck in this industry is at the upstream end currently. So what you want is a nice strong price signal for to be sent by spodumene to to really incentivize that upstream investment. So I think it, it can price on the basis of its own you know, spodumene index. I don't think it would necessarily you know be the 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 price that then drives everything else in the market. I think that there's a place for separate pricing for for all three main products, so spodumene, carbonate, and hydroxide, and at varying points in time or under different market conditions, one may drive the other to a certain extent or sort of lead, um, lead, lead the picture. To go back to, to what you identified there with the, the mineral resources and, and Albemarle picture, I think that is, is an interesting one and is, is, is a good one to kind of identify. So, you know, a golden rule of pricing management is always you know keep your price exposure either fixed to fixed so fixed on the upstream fixed on the downstream or floating to floating um so that you kind of have a have a natural hedge there so what would happen if yeah mineral resources starts insisting on on selling uh spodumene on a you know, fixed price spot index price of the day then yes it, it would kind of it would create 
more of an urgency to to make sure that the downstream pricing was was similarly reflective of its own price of the day there going back again to you know what you were talking about about the development of the the iron ore space i think there was in iron ore there was a bhp moment and it was driven by you know bhp's ideology around that market especially as you you got big swings in supply and demand as china grew so yeah it's it's an evolving space so Peter, uh, you know the first of your of your three articles was how is Bodgeman priced, and I guess I had a thought or, or a query on if you've got companies that are fully funded, like say Liontown was with prepayment and equity raise, then they have the flexibility of choosing any mechanism that's out there, I guess, to maximise for shareholders, but. Could we see a situation in the future where we move to sort of jurisdictions and projects and flow sheets that possibly are a little bit of a stretch to get to fully funded or, or are not going to um, are not you know going to get there so that they might need something somewhat unconventional or even a, a standard you know bank loan or a physical loan where they have to cap and floor? So do you think? That that could play a part in you know where future projects are going to come from and and how Spodgerman is priced. Yeah, I think it's a good observation, and I think it, the 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 answer really is that often you know is is not in the producers or the project developers' hands necessarily to decide how they price the project uh, the product. Obviously, often it's the case that the you know, the one fronting the money is going to have the say on how it's priced. And, and the mechanism. Uh, I think there, there should be enough new entrants or new new producers who are able to to take their own decision on uh, on product pricing that I still think that the spodumine um, will increasingly have its own price of the day and, and be priced in in, in that way. Um, but also I guess a, a relevant part of this is the development of those derivative contracts. So as you get more transparency in the forward markets and the ability to um, to offload your risk, then you know those those who are loaning uh, money for for financing projects will increasingly be able to um, you know manage the their risk in the forward market through things like SGX or CME or LME de- derivatives and you know, have things like collar options in there. In, in aluminum, right? You have this concept of green aluminum, right? You know and Quebec is a major aluminum jurisdiction. Rio Tinto is all over there, and I think Alcoa is as well. But I remember going to LME Week, you know, three years ago, and there was a lot of talk about green aluminum there. And everyone was, you know, the statement was that you know, the auto companies, the other companies, they weren't willing to pay a premium, right? But I know, I know a former Rio Tinto person who basically said they are getting a premium. It's just not like so transparently priced, right? You know, so the, in the long-term <laughs> negotiation. So we're, we're, from a sustainability point of view, do you think, um, uh, you, you know, that there'll be green premium, you know, for lithium, one question, then there's like a security of supply, like it's so much more costly to build the capital intensities outside of China or so much more in every jurisdiction. But in order to have that, that kind of justifies that you should be paying a higher, you know, price for that. Related to that is like natural gas is, you know, that is a commodity, but it's priced very differently 
based on logistics of you know mm. geography um so do you see you know like let's say a north america uh and european price disconnect to let's say the, the the these benchmarks you know pricing that you're having from china on the sgx platform for esg and security of supply you know reasons eventually yes i do i think that there'll be a regional regionalized price differentiation and price differentiation based on the uh, esg factors as well um a lot of that i think is going to be policy driven so if you look at uh, the the ira regulation now you know if if your supply can be ira compliant then presumably you're going to attract a premium for that um and you know likewise from an from an esg standpoint if there's anything similar and a similar vein to the european carbon border adjustment mechanism um then you're going to have a a price differentiation based on things like carbon intensities um where how what that looks like is is a bit too early to tell so it could still be that the the north asia nexus is so big in terms of demand that that still represents the clearing price and that you have sort of regional premiums or differentiation to that um or you could have entirely yeah standalone prices for say you know delivered north america or delivered europe um but yeah my do, 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 what do you think uh, sorry do, do you think that there's a there's a risk that Europe's got the policy right, but not the, you know, the carrot. They've got the stick right, but not the carrot in the sense that you're going to end up having quite a hefty premium to try and secure the right material in Europe, but not the available supply domestically or, or elsewhere. So that OEMs are ending up in a prejudiced position. hundred percent. Yeah, com I completely agree with that. And I think um, yeah, until they get more of a carrot to to build out their raw material production, um, then yeah, they, they're going to be in that sort of quandary. When these markets develop indexes, they're illiquid, but as they're developing, you know, it's not just, you know, physical actors in there, but speculators kind of come in, financial market participants, as much as you want to create, you know, price transparency and hedge risk you know the speculators often in illiquid markets make the price even more volatile you know so do, do you see a risk of that in, in you know the the carbonate and hydroxide contracts and you know something develops as well in spodrine i think that's always a bit of an academic debate um whether speculation in markets uh adds to volatility or not um and whether futures contracts futures markets create more uh, volatility than than they subdue i tend to come down on the basis of price transparency is a good thing for um market uh you know forces bringing supply and demand in into line and where they need to be um over time so i think that uh speculators are an important facilitator of liquidity so they essentially you know they help to make that make the market and ultimately the the physical supply and demand will be the ultimate arbit arbitrator of uh, you know, where, where price ends up. So no, I, I tend to come down the other side of that and think that uh, liquidity and transparency in the forward market are a good thing for the industry in terms of guiding where the investment needs to be made. And uh, my hope is that over time, we don't see prices bounce around from you know, $10 a kilo to $80 a kilo and 
back again that we sort of find a more of a a reasonable price band where where supply and demand match up a little bit better. Okay, Go, going back to Spodumene, I mean, you have the Pilbara's BMX platform. They're only putting up a small, you know, tonnage there, but it is a real-time price. Are, are you, as Fast Markets or others, working on a Spodumene, you know, product? I mean, there's a lot of tons. If I look at our Mr. Market scoreboard, a lot like the hard rocks in terms of market caps have, you know, increased. You know, the percentage of, you know, the, the, the companies that are there. And, and Rodney has been saying this for years. And we, we think like the fastest market to bring lithium tons along are, are spodumene tons, especially if they're dense media separation only. So you have, you know, Sigma has a bunch of uncontracted tons. They're fully financed. And also just going back to the Tesla point, refining versus mining. You know, to build a refinery, if you look at the Kemerton and Quinana, these are very complex. They take a long time. There's big cost overruns, billion-dollar projects, whereas, you know, Atlantic just came out with a PFS for $125 million, right, and 225% IRRs. You know, these are 200% plus IRRs versus, you know, an integrated, you know, chemical conversion plant that may have, you know, 30 40%, you know, IRRs after much more complex, you know, kind of CapEx. So there should be a a rush, you know, Pilbara shows, Altura, you know, shows you can bring spodumene tons to market and people are discovering them. There's a lot of drilling activity. And if you could follow that, you know, in in a four-year, you know, kind of time frame, bring something to production, you could have like a Goldman Sachs, a Morgan Stanley, a Deutsche, a Credit Suisse or whatever, creating a, a financial product based on a much lower risk endeavor with bringing hard rock spodge mean provide some capital but also take some of the uh, logistics risk there you know S&P Platts created this 62% you know over the counter contract it wasn't an exchange that became the benchmark that was used by these trading desks so i'm just wondering if those things are in the works because i know some banks yeah. want, want to play here in the spodge mean market yeah, so if, to your first question, we do have an existing uh, spodumene spot price index. It's a SC6 basis, SIF China um, index. It takes on things like the liquidity that come from the BMX platform. Fastmark is always big proponents of industry platforms that add transparency to the market and, and create that you know, transparent venue where you get you know proper price discovery. We're fans of the, the price discovery that comes from the BMX platform, unfortunately, obviously, is is limited, and we'd like to see that uh, improve in the future. I think if it does, and I think it will, as more tons come to market, whether it's that platform or you know just people doing their own spot tenders, as we see more spodumene supply come online, there should be more price transparency, and that should increase you know, confidence in spodumene as its own price index. And yeah, you could see it develop as a standalone product that then requires its own derivative. But even in the nearer term, I mean, you've, you've got part of that infrastructure now that you've discussed in place. So the, the way these you know, derivative and futures gain that liquidity is always initially through you know, banks or financiers doing OTC deals and then going to the exchange to, to offload that risk with you know, an opposing position. And you have the ability for that now in, in lithium carbonate and lithium hydroxide. And it's probably not a huge stretch to say, well, that will correlate enough with spodumene to, to start doing that, even with the, the structures that we have 
although obviously, yeah, down the line, it would be a lower basis risk and, and a cleaner hedge if you had a, a spodumene product as well. And just to, to mention as well, yeah, so obviously on, on SGX, you had the, the PLAT62 index in around about three or four years ago, they launched a 65% FE index as well, which is fast market settled. So there's always scope for, you know, development of, of new products, new grades, new types of instruments as these markets evolve. So I think, yeah, we could see Spodumene have its own ecosystem down the line as well. Sprott just announced they're in market. I just received a, whatever, red herring prospectus about a unit trust, a product that's going to store lithium carbonate as well as nickel and cobalt. So you know, they're raising money so that they could buy the physical for investors who want to speculate on the price of those three commodities. So what do you think about that from a lithium carbonate perspective? You know, they're going to be out there. Sprott will be a buyer holding lithium carbonate, you know, on the expectation that I guess the price to go up or they'll play it somehow. Mm. So just uh, any, any comments on that new development? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a nice development to see. Uh, I think obviously it's a, it's a tight market to be going in and, and buying product in at this stage. So from an industry perspective, I think it's not exactly like this, this market needs tons to be soaked up by any means. Uh, but in terms of the, in, in terms of the, you know, the, what it gives investors the ability to yeah, access um, exposure to the underlying commodities. That's something that, that you can't really do at this stage. With the, with the development of the, the cash settled derivative products, then that gives another angle and will give another angle you know, down the line. But I think also perhaps the, the Sprott move is, is a catalyst that, again, might help develop liquidity on those um, you know, exchange-based futures markets. If people are looking to, to play any sort of arbitrage between that physical holding and the, uh, the physical market indices, then that's something that obviously you, you could do in theory on those derivative contracts. So, Peter, your, your third uh, article is on, on why people should care. And you've actually raised you know, an interesting point, I guess, you know, we've had the discussion earlier about where the margin sits and how that may evolve. The one thing I'm pretty sure listeners would want to hear is some more color on midstream potential products. I think that, you know, can change the environment as to what would be prefer preferential. There's ESG considerations, waste, and I guess pricing. Is there any differential in process flow sheet to taking a midstream versus the spodumen? How that might evolve, you know, how that, you know, how capital intensive is midstream, you know, and and, um, and if if the world is really going to have carbon border tax or issues with ESG, you know, is it something that might be forced to become a standard of some sort? Yeah, that's a really good question. I'm not actually too familiar with things like the capital intensity of those processes and, and the flow sheets, but I think it is an important almost qualification to the the notion that spodumene is going to be, you know, a huge relevant commodity market in into the long future because yeah, it certainly seems just on the face of it that those midstream products that inherently contain more lithium units at the compound level are better carriers for, for lithium. And that's ultimately all the spodumene is. I mean, other than some high-end 
technical applications, you need spodumene because you want to convert it into a chemical. So yeah, whether, whether that changes the picture and further down the line, we actually see markets for things like lithium sulfate or lithium phosphate. I think that's an important qualifier and caveat to the idea that, that spodumene is going to be the big market. One of the conclusions I drew from the third piece was, yeah, if it were me, I'd, I'd look to maximize revenue in the near term, but have a sort of pretty decent plan to move downstream into the future. Yeah, and you see, that to me is, is smart because I think you can get away with just selling spodumen for now, but are you going to, yeah. you know, even if it's not economically the most optimal thing, could you, from other forces by government or ESG or whatever, be forced into a midstream situation where you, or you're penalized if you keep sending spodumen? Yeah. That's a, you know, that that's potentially a risk. Europe, Europe is definitely a candidate for stopping raw spodumen as one of the first. They won't want the waste coming their way. Yeah. Well, you have AMG, who is making a technical grade carbonate in Brazil and then converting that in, in Germany. So Peter, Chris Ellison basically said lithium's in deficit, you know, until at least 2030. And he's saying, if you own the rock, you're God. He, at this point, He's played this very well, he saw in 2010, and he has the best partners in Ganfeng and Albemarle, and he had a gigantic resource in Wajina. I mean, arguably, he's going to do it again with his investment in global lithium. We'll, we'll see about that, and he may make some acquisitions. But if you take his point that owning your own rock is key, and we're good until 2030, it's very hard to mine rock and go downstream. I mean, Piedmont has that strategy. That's, you know, their fundamental strategy. Livent has that strategy with Namaska. But, you know, if you're developing, you know, if you're Atlantic, if you're Sigma, like what's the motivation to go downstream for the next 10 years? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, there's definitely a, an opportunity and a big window now that the tightness is on the upstream end to, to try and maximize that. And that comes back to yeah, establishing a spodumene pricing mechanism that allows you to to get the price of the day. Um, obviously, you know margin now is better than margin in the future from a discounted cash flow perspective. So there's a a real case to to try and knock it out of the park now in the near term, but then at the same time have a a plan to to try and uh, insulate yourself from potential you know cycles going forward. And and probably the best way of doing that is to to go downstream uh, where you. You increase your value add um, and you hopefully sort of attract the, the higher multiples that the, uh, the chemicals companies trade at. So whether your, your downstream move is in the midstream uh, into those midstream salts or all the way downstream, um, it's probably something worth thinking about. But obviously there's, there's different strategies to, to play it. Your, your goal could be you know, simply to, to look to uh, be acquired as a spodumene producer if you can do well enough over the next few years obviously there's a lot of MA and consolidation to be done in this space over the next few years i'd imagine it's like any industry that grows very fast it becomes fragmented for a time and then it consolidates and the, the major players will maintain you know their moats right if they execute well and you know and integrate those assets so we we joked with joe lowry like about you know album 
paying over the odds, what seemed to be over the odds for Wagner a couple of years ago. And, you know, they'll be proven right because the markets um, have, you know, if you have a long enough, you know, time horizon and vision, and as we are mostly focused on, you know, exploration and development plays, you you you, you want to see that. You want to see the big players consolidate and take you out at the very high high valuations. And, and where we see it, yeah, we see it, risk reward wise it's the easiest in hard rock right you know dealy and clay and other things we're proponents for the you know those as well but it's more complicated right the the, the spodge mean to lithium units in a short time frame with not a lot of capital um is where the bottleneck is and you're seeing a lot of exploration you know and development you know on, on that score but i was just questioning like why i, I asked pilbara this question why go downstream why do calyx you know that long term they just because there's 94% waste, right? That's a, the key differentiating factor versus, let's say, iron ore. You, you don't want to be shipping around, you know, a lot of that waste. And to Rodney's point, you know, it may not even be acceptable to receive that in a place like Europe. But in terms of the multiple question that you have, we're, we're going to talk some, to some hedge funds and other financial practitioners. Uh, you're focused on the, you know, as a price reporting agent. You, this does matter. You know, you mentioned Albemarle has a specialty chemical kind of mentality, but the, the disparity valuations relative to sales relative to EBITDA you know of an album all versus a traditional commodity player in, in iron or Rio Tinto or Alcoa in, in aluminum or copper and Freeport and US steel um, I may put those up here just there is a dichotomy yeah. I think that could be explained by the growth of lithium but I also think that all of those companies that I mentioned are deeply undervalued, deeply underappreciated, and there's scope. Like I own um, a number of those, you know, ETFs. I'm not. I'm focused on lithium, so I could pick individual stocks. But um, some of these other names as proxies for those commodities, I just think are greatly underappreciated. And some of it has to do with the fact that China killed the market, or there was a volatility of earnings, or they're perceived to grow less or um you know from an esg point of view that they're viewed as you know less investable less sustainable you know which i think is untrue yes mining is steel companies are not mining companies you know but steel companies trade at you know us steel is making tons of money and trades at what, one or two times you know even ebitda that doesn't make sense to me right there's yeah. a fundamental underappreciation for how critically important you know, high quality companies and U.S. Steel is making green steel. Most of it is from, a lot of it's from recycled, you know. So anyway, that's just an education in the market. There are cycles to mentality and we put out this refining billions, uh, you know, podcast where we're quoting Robert Friedland and, and uh, you know, Jim Latinsky and Chamath Palapatia and Chris Ellison. There needs to be a shift in in sentiment, and the fact that our channel still, you know, has a small, relatively small following, um, uh, shows that there's a lot of scope, right, to come here. When the shoeshine boy is telling you, you know, you need to, you know, have you, he gives you a stock tip about a lithium development company, you know, or Rio Tinto is buying Albemarle at 100 billion or 150 billion, then that's the top of the market. I think we're a few years away from that. But uh, anyway, Peter, thank you very much for chatting with us today and uh, previously. And your your notes are, are great. Keep up. I agree with 
Joe, that your boss, Raju, you know, should give you a, a raise <laughs> for the high quality work that you're putting out. And uh, look, look forward to having you on, you know, again, sometime in the future. No, thanks very much, Howard. And thanks, Rodney. It's been really enjoyable. And as I said, I, I love the stuff and the, the content that you put out. So yeah, happy to, uh, to chat anytime.